Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, Alante here. Before I start this week's episode, I want to thank you for taking time to listen to this audio blog. Blackening Grad School was created to encourage and empower women and people of color to and through the grad school journey. Enjoy! Hey everybody, it's Alante here with another episode of Black and in Grad School. And today I have a very special guest, Miss Chantel, the creator and founder of Woke STEM. Welcome, Chantel. Thank you for having me, Alante. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, 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 yes. And even though this will be released after the Strength Not Strikes Virtual Summit, work Woke STEM was a pivotal piece of putting it together, helping us spread the word and get more people involved. So big shout out to you all. I'm so happy that we were able to work together to create and have a really great event. Yeah, same here. I'm really excited. I can't wait to to see how it turns out. I know. I know. Me too. All right. So let's start with a little bit of background about yourself. Tell us what you're up to nowadays um, beyond Woke STEM, and we'll get into that for sure. Um, a little bit later. Sure. So um, right now, I'm currently a PhD candidate at UCLA. I study molecular biology with an emphasis on gene regulation. So I look at how gene expression, basically, I'm interested in the quality control mechanisms of gene expression. And if you want to know what that really means, hit me up later on. <laughs> um, but before I go to that, um, it started, so I'm Nigerian American. I'm first generation born in America. And like many people with my background from immigrant families, um, there's this expectation that you become a medical doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had a lot of those pressures set on me. And although I did pretty well in school and was like, okay, I'm going to do the whole pre-med thing. Um, it wasn't until college that I think like early on in college that I had this, I, I kind of stopped and looked at my CV and I kind of did a, a check and saw that most of my experiences were more like on the science side of medicine as opposed to the clinical side of medicine. Like I was just always drawn to like the biology and the fundamental mechanisms and they're like the real deep whys of why disease is progressing a certain way. So um, when I met with someone, they were like, why don't you get into research? And I was like, okay, like, I guess I'll try that. Um, so I'm going to pause real quick to lead up, give some more context as to how I got to this point of even being interested in research. Um, sure. So I started my academic career, my post-high uh, school academic career in Fresno, Fresno, California. Um, I was um, a really, I was a really hardcore high schooler, but um, because of familial issues and income and all kinds of things, I had to stay home and go to community college in Fresno, California. So I went to Fresno City College. I was really bummed out because I worked really hard to try to go to like Stanford, Berkeley, Harvard, whatever. Um, and, um, I had a few life experiences that happened to me that kind of compounded on one another in 2010. 
And that kind of led to a really, um, it led me to a really dark place. Um, but what was really great about that place is that it was a place of introspection. Um, so I, you know, I was one of those students that really tied my self-worth to my GPA and all that because that's, you know, how it's typically conditioned in this space. Um, but yeah. that semester, um, I went from a 3.5 to a 1.3 and it was like all science classes. So any of y'all pre-meds out there, y'all hearing this, you know, that is like a serious, that's like a hefty L. So um, because of that, it kind of had me spiraling a little bit and just had me thinking like, what am I going to do in my life? It's all over. I'm like, what, 19, 20 years old and this is happening, thinking my life is over because I got some bad grades one semester. Um, You're right. But that moment really had me uh, kind of reevaluating my self-worth and like who I am. I knew I was somebody I was gifted and I had many talents. I've been into, I've been into all kinds of different things and excelled at pretty much most of them. And I was like, you know what? I'm not about to let this setback set my whole life back. Like, this isn't my destiny. This isn't my end point. So I kind of decided to just up and leave. Like, the environment I was in wasn't the best environment. So I'm like, I'm about to just move to San Francisco and just get a fresh start. And I'm about to be a boss, like, straight up. Nothing's going to get in my way. So um, that's what I did. I saved up my money. You know, I hustled real hard. I moved to San Francisco. My life changed from then on. Um, In San Francisco is when I... um, got a lot more exposure to research. I had my first official research experience at UCSF, um, working with Dr. Daniel Hart and cardiovascular research. I fell in love with it. I was like, you can get paid to like think and ask <laughs> really scientific questions. Like, where do I sign up? Like for real, like, give me, give me the paper. Let me sign up right now. Um, so, um, I did really well at that. I won a lot of awards and to conferences and things like that. Um, I applied to graduate school. Um, I had the strategy of, you know, only going, only applying to reach schools because I refused to get a PhD from a, not a safety school. Like I yeah. only want to get So I was like, yep, I'm applying to Harvard, Stanford, all of them, like all of them and nothing else. I had a good backup plan, <laughs> but <laughs> I made sure I applied to all of those uh, places that I wanted to earn my PhD from. So I did that. Um, I got into UCLA. I got into other schools as well, but UCLA was the best choice for me um, because I had a really great funding package, a good support circle and all kinds of things. Um, I won a few awards here and there. I'm an NSF GRFP fellow. So, you know, I'm mad funded. It's great. (laughs) Um, But that's what's kind of brought me to here in a scholastic sense. I have a lot of other like experiences and things about my background that brought me to the point of like book STEM, but for me personally, this is where I am academically. All right. So you really gave us a really great background and even shared a lot of like those pivotal experiences. Like you took a self audit of what you were being drawn to and you're through your CV. And it sounds like you also had some great people that you were talking to. Um, well, more so experiences you were having in real life and then also realizing your attraction to the field of research. And I love the, way that you framed it, like getting paid to think. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I think of it as like, it's one of the few jobs where you can't be wrong because research, even when it comes out wrong, you still made progress. (laughs) But I really like being paid to think. It sounds way um, much more positive. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so what are your plans after? What do you want to do once you finish your PhD? Because you are a candidate. So that is a, and also if you can maybe tell us what a candidate means at, in your program. So, cause there's so many different routes to candidacy. Right. Um, okay. So 
like I said, I'm, I'm earning my PhD in molecular biology. So like it's wet bench research. I'm in the lab every day, not really every day, five days a week, but um, mm-hmm. I'm doing research. Um, my program, I think on average is about like six years, five and a half to six years, I think typically six years to graduation. Um, and so like the first two year, first year of your PhD is typically in my program, it's like coursework. So you're taking classes, you know, it's kind of hardcore because they smash all of our classes into one year only. Wow. Um, yeah. It's really intense. Like you're taking classes that are five weeks long that are like in really intense topics across the field of molecular biology. It first year was a struggle <laughs> to say the least, but you know, essentially the first year you're taking these classes so you can kind of get a really good breadth of understanding of the field in a way that's based on evidence-driven, evidence-based um, science. So you're reading journal articles, you're doing it in a really intense way, you're critiquing journal, you're critiquing articles and whatnot. Um, so you're taking these classes, getting you familiar with the field. Um, you, we also have this requirement called a written qualifying exam. So we take this in our first year and the written qualifying exam is just to see if, can you write like a scientist? Can mm-hmm. you come up with an original project with original essentially, yeah, like an original idea and develop a whole grant proposal around it. And it has to be real. It can't just be something fake that you pull out of the air. Like you, it's a real, it's, you know, it's a little intense because you have to do a lot of straight up like discovery work and straight up like originating and creating. Um, So um, we do that during our first year and that gets you like kind of halfway there to candidacy. Um, The next step, which is the oral qualifying exam, that's like the big dog. That's the one that people, you know, kind of <laughs> disappear and you start tripping, you know, the behavior changes, the weight changes, all kind of thing change when it comes to the oral qualifying exam. Um, so that exam is essentially a proposal, like you're defending your thesis, but kind of like before it's over, you're kind of just standing in front of a committee of scientists, of experts, um, if, you, if, if I may, and um, you're proposing this project that may take you three, four, even five years you're going through like every single little detail. You have to know all of the background. You have to just, you're just really going in. And because these are experts, typically old white men that done this all their life, like they're asking you mad questions about it. And you just have to be up there real confident, have to know how to think like a scientist. So part of it is knowing a lot of material, knowing the field, knowing the literature, knowing how experiments work all the way down to the very, very, very tiny minutia of like the technique. But also it's like, can you think creatively like a scientist? So if they ask you something that's very like hypothetical on the spot, you should be able to synthesize and understand like, okay, how would I be able to answer this question? How would I be able to approach this experiment? What kind of controls, you know, just having a conversation. So if you kind of think the way I think about it is like, it's a step for you to start becoming a true colleague in the field by thinking and discussing science in a way that gets actually practical and feasible. Um, so that's the oral qualifying exam. Typically in some programs, in our program as well, if you don't pass the um, oral qualifying exam, um, I think like straight up, if you just like fail, then it's, you got to go. Like they just kick you out. And it's, oh, it's just, wow. yeah, it's struggle bus city from <laughs> after that. But um, they don't let you take it again. They don't let you try again. That's if you, so if you fail, like they fail you out. But then if you um, have a conditional pass, which I think is typically what people get if they don't do well, you okay. can take it in, but I think it's like maybe six months later or something. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, thank God I passed on the first try. I wasn't trying to get into those murky waters at all. No, sure. 
<laughs> but um, but yeah. So once you get over that, then you have officially quote unquote advanced to candidacy. Candidacy. That means that you are now a candidate to earn your PhD. So you basically you're on your way there. Like you just got to finish up your project that you proposed. And once you defend that at the very end, they give you your your paper and your hat, and that's it. Awesome. So the proposal that you so the hypothetical project in your in your written that doesn't become your actual project though, right? No. Um. So it depends. Like that's a okay. very um. Yeah, it depends. Like some programs expect you to like carry out that project. My program was like, you can write on anything you really want. So I, I wrote about something very like esoteric and new. Um, mm-hmm. And it allowed me to like really think a lot about like bioinformatics. Like it gave me an opportunity to explore other fields, but it's not my project at all. Like it has nothing to do with what I'm doing in my lab right now. Gotcha. Okay. That's really cool though. Um, and that's different from my process. So I, it just like shows like the differences um, already. And even when I was, I used to be like in a wet bench lab um, years ago um, <laughs> when I, well, when I did my master's, but I was, I was originally getting my PhD at that particular program and the process was like totally different. So it just speaks to all the different routes to candidacy. All right. Thank you for sharing. So what are your plans afterwards? So after I earn my PhD, I'm right now I'm, I'm developing kind of a five year, 10 year plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really in general, I'm interested in the business side of science. Like I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been a hustler and um, that's just what my calling is. So Right now, I'm developing a career trajectory in which more in the long term, woke STEM is going to be, you know, what I'm doing full time. It's what's going to be bringing in the bread and the cheddar. But then um, in order to get to that point, I have a lot more professional development that needs to happen and a lot more strategic moves that need to happen to get me to a place of success without having to climb every single bar of the ladder. So right now, I'm really interested in business development and management consulting. Um, I have some experience in that area in a formal capacity. So um, that's where I'm headed right now. Um, but my my options are open. My Again, like my long-term goal is to, you know, probably have a private consultancy of some sort, but um, entrepreneurship all the way. I just need to make some, you know, some, some power moves <laughs> before I get there. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. I think there's a... More, there's an emergence. I feel like I've been seeing like on my Twitter and on my Instagram of PhD earners taking an entrepreneurial route, which I think is really great, especially since some in some spaces employment is like really hard. You're usually overqualified for most jobs, and then the ones you are qualified for are being, you know, um, occupied for years and years and years. And but you know. It's just, it's just like, um, I feel like the timing is really bad depending on your field for finding a, a job, if you, especially if you're interested in academia. So um, I really love that you um, have these plans. I'm really excited to watch Woke STEM grow. That was a perfect segue into telling us more about Woke STEM and what it is. How did you create it? And then um, what you're doing right now, like what's your current project? So Woke STEM was 
really many years in progress. I just didn't know it at the time. Um, Wokestem was officially started last year. Like I officially like, you know, made it a tangible brand. But mm-hmm. um, years earlier, a lot of like my life experiences are what informed my, um, I kind of like my, my zest for creating this thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I've always been the type of person, like I was really extra from like a very young age. Like I was always, I was very outspoken, um, but mm-hmm. in a way, not so much in a way to be just obnoxious, but more so like I was really, I was always concerned about justice and about things being fair and about things being right. So I still remember like back in middle school, um, I went to a, like a uniform, like a dress code driven middle school that was located in hood. It was like high performance and located in the hood. So there was some, some strange dynamics going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine. I totally can relate to that. <laughs> so because of that, you know, there was all kind of mess happening. And I was the one that was like, it was like every two weeks or three weeks, like I was writing up petitions and like getting people to sign and like, you know, writing out whole proposals and presenting it to like the administration. Be like, look, like y'all need to get it together. Like this isn't okay. It didn't really go anywhere because, you know, I was a seventh grader, but that just shows like how a lot of like my yearning for like justice and social justice and equity kind of began. Um, so again, like I, I had, I spent a lot of time in the Bay area in San Francisco where I moved to and San Francisco is a very, like, um, it's a very interesting space and a very interesting place. And I had the opportunity within and outside of academia to be in multiple communities that were oriented around community organizing and social justice. Um, and I had a lot of, I had broad, basically I was blessed to have broad perspectives. I wasn't just like a scientist taking science classes and doing science research. Like I was a dancer and just in a bunch of different spaces. Um, I also went to San Francisco State University, which um, the first BSU was created out of student protests back in the 60s. Um, so oh, wow. Yeah, there's a really, really deep, uh, legacy and a lot of pride around student organizing, community activism, and things of that sort. Um, so when I was there, I spent a lot of time around these people. I didn't take any like formal classes or anything. It was just like my experiences and the spaces that I was within that I started to learn more of, I guess, the formal language around social justice and just the idea, the concept of being an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, once I left college, I was in this really like weird limbo space because I was like I want to be an activist like I want to go out and create change I want to you know become a voice for people that you know are voiceless or don't have the opportunity to have a voice but I don't know how to do it I'm a scientist so um throughout a lot of my experiences I started to learn that you know activism isn't like this very narrow very like one-way kind of thing where you have a picket whatever picket fans I don't even know if that's even a valid example anymore but you know what I mean like you don't have to be one type of way you don't have to be out in the streets and doing whatever activism can be it's very radical and it can be very nuanced um so a lot of the activism that I started to get into particularly in graduate school was in improving uh, representation like true representation not hyper representation um mm-hmm. I was involved in um sitting on panels and things like that but I was very um I was really, really strategic about the panels that I sat on um, because I knew what the the goal and aim was. Um, I did a lot of community work as well. Um, And throughout my experiences, just from the actions I was taking, as well as the experiences that I I was um, having as a Black female student in a predominantly white institution, um, there was just a lot of mess. And I was thinking, like, there has to be some type of way 
to solve these problems. Like, I just, I don't understand why, you know, Black graduate students or students of color really in general are disproportionately set against having, you know, mental health issues or dropping out or mastering out. Like there's so many crazy, like structural, um, structural forces that are deeply seated in like, honestly, racism and like anti-Blackness um, that really lead to non-equitable outcomes. Like, so, I mean, I can go on and on and on about that, but yeah. I, start to re- I start to really think about like, how what can I do? Like, I know that I'm gifted with certain, um, with certain attributes and qualities that allow me to be like a speaker and to be a face and whatever. And I have, you know, capital, like the capital to navigate whiteness in a very particular way. Um, so I'm like, I need to know how to use this capital to help the black community, to give back and to make some kind of change. Um, so I also was thinking about like what I want to do for my career because there was so many different things I wanted to get into, but I'm like, I don't know. There's no one job that will like blend everything together. So what that's going to be. So after a long time, I I really thought about like just how I'm going to converge all of these ideas, all of my passions and all of the the problem solving that I wanted to really get into the nitty gritty about. And um, I don't know what the day was or how it happened, but it just I think it was just pulling at me for a really long time that I need to start something. I need to do something. And I, I just decided to create Woke STEM like. So it started as an idea of creating a community because from what I saw in my own spaces and in other spaces across the U.S., um, Black communities and graduate programs, and specifically graduate programs in STEM, were pretty non-existent. Like you probably would find one other Black graduate student and they're like a seventh year and they're like not even on campus anymore. Like it's just yes. really bad. <laughs> yes. I wanted to create a digital community where Black graduate students, originally Black graduate students can come together and just feel like, be able to feel authentic and not have to suppress any parts of themselves. They can feel seen and heard and recognized and celebrated. Um, And I expanded that out to other spaces of of STEM, like not just students, but professionals as well. Because Mm -hmm. again, like it's a numbers thing. Like we are severely underrepresented in this space so I wanted to be ex- inclusive of all Black people in STEM in some capacity. Um, so creating a space, a creating a community was really, really important to me um, for Woke STEM. Another thing that was really important to me for Woke STEM is to create a space that's built on joy, on Black joy specifically, because, mm-hmm. you know, we can go on and on about all the statistics and all of just the trashness and just all of the mess associated and all of the, the nonsense that we go through as black students in graduate programs or black students, black people in STEM in general. And while that's all true, I think there is a lot of power in black joy um, and expressing black joy and creating and thriving from a space of joy. Um, yes. It's not so much minimalizing the, the, the trials and tribulations of being a black person navigating a very anti-black space, but it's more so being able to contribute to your ability to thrive and to be happy and to live a full life, a full life that allows you the space to really just be here. Like you can create your lane and nobody's going to bother you kind of thing. So that's kind of like what I wanted Woke STEM to be, a space where black people can come, allies as well, but it's really it's centered on black people to come and just be themselves and just enjoy 
the choices that they've made without feeling like they have to be judged or, you know, have feeling like they have to suppress some part of themselves or whatever. It's just straight up radical authenticity. Like you are here as a black person and you are also a person in STEM. They're not two identities. They're one, it's one identity. Um, so I'm trying to there's one more thing I just wanted to add about woke STEM, which is something working on. Um, so like the two things I mentioned before is really about um, kind of the philosophy of the space I'm trying to create, of the space I've created. Um, it's also about representation. So um, I really believe in access for all people, regardless of class, regardless mm-hmm. of you know how much money you got in your account, regardless of where you live. So I wanted this to be a visual platform because it breaks down these barriers of access because most people have access to the internet in some capacity um, mm-hmm. and also the visual platform. So it's a for us, by us type of situation. Like there doesn't really exist a lot of spaces that are for us or by, by us for black people in STEM. So woke STEM is a visual platform to, for that. Um, the other thing that woke STEM is really big about, which we're developing right now is a space to really break down some of these issues because currently there's a lot of there's a lot of initiatives out there and there's a lot of people who are really interested in quote unquote solving the diversity problem, if I were to call it that. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of programs and initiatives aren't very sustainable and tend to come off a little symptomatic. So it's like, OK, like our graduate program doesn't have many black students. Let's get more black students into the graduate program. It's like, no, boo boo. Like, it's, that's, it's not that simple. Like, this is a very complex topic. You know, if you can, if you come to somebody who says that, they may say, well, it, maybe it's because they're not applying. Well, it's like, okay, why aren't they applying? Well, because we didn't do this. So instead of just stopping at the very forefront, I'm really interested in getting down to the bottom and understanding the root causes of some of these issues in the micro focused way. So instead of talking about like, why aren't people applying? Let's go back and talk about what is the impact of zip codes on quality STEM education? Because that is a real, you know, that is a true variable in the equation of why maybe black students are applying to programs because of preparation or what have you, or access to quality education that makes them competitive in the pool of applicants for graduate programs. Um, So I really believe in taking a cross-disciplinary approach and this looks like instead of talking to scientists, other scientists about, you know, the zip code issue, I would talk to political scientists who study zip codes or economists who study zip codes. And cross-disciplinarily, we'll be having a conversation about how this is impacting this particular problem in STEM and coming up with actionable solutions that can perhaps lead to sustainable, sustainable solutions. Um, so that's part of the other part of the platform is creating these cross-disciplinary conversations in a way that's really innovative and unique and that hasn't really been done before in this particular type of way. I think that's amazing. So, yeah, I'm going to, I do. I'm really excited to kind of just see what happens because you took us, went to a step back in the idea of looking at zip codes. Because my next question kind of was like, what do you think is contributing to like, this may be smaller pool of STEM applicants, but um, yeah, you went back to like the preparation, which which really is key. And um, I think that you can find some really great information and I'm excited to find out what 
to learn what you find out through this work that you're going to do. So one thing I kind of wanted to go back to, though, is you you kind of kind of talked about it. But like what has been your experience as a black woman in um, in graduate school? Woo, child. <laughs> You don't have to lay all your burdens down, girl. You just lay down <laughs> a burden or two. Let me just say, nah. But um, I guess in in a nutshell, it's been a very interesting journey. Um, from the jump, it's been rough, like really, really difficult because I do go to a predominantly white institution in Los Angeles, California. Um, the institution I go to is very, you know, a lot of people want to go here kind of thing. Um, and that creates, it's a very anti-Black space as well. Like I think about, about a year or two ago, they were, they were having Blackface parties, like straight up Blackface parties in the frat house across from my lab. Like it's a very wild, very, very wild place. Um, so it's been, I've had a lot of violent experiences, like emotionally, mentally, and somewhat physically violent experiences um, during graduate school. Um, but it's also been a space, a time of, just, it's been a challenge of understanding, just staying grounded, like really getting back to who I am and why I'm here and holding on to that. Because I think in times of challenge, your faith gets tested quite extensively. And again, I'm just giving you super surface level, but you know, there's been times where um, the kind of violence I was experiencing led me to a place of really silencing myself. Like I low-key stopped talking. And like, as you can tell, like I'm a talker, like I talk a lot, I talk real loud, but I was quiet, like really, really quiet because um, the environment and the climate had me in a place of really second guessing and really limiting and making myself feel small because that's, that was the intention. Um, There's a lot of insidious experiences that I've had that was really, I don't know why it was directed towards me other than the fact that I'm a black woman and I have confidence. But um, again, at the end of the day, like there was a lot of negative experiences, but it really brought me closer to who I am and why I'm here. And another, one of the biggest things that I guess the benefit from going through um, graduate school in this way is that I learned a lot about self-preservation and I got really, about self-care like self-care is like priority like there's just no like I set boundaries really strict boundaries on my time on how much access you have to me on my energy on how I respond to people all the things um and knowing to put myself first in order to preserve myself and you know who I am and what I bring to the table it's been it's been really, it's, it's been kind of a beautiful journey in a, in a twisted way um, because I wasn't like that in undergrad. I was kind of all over the place and not really putting myself first and just exhausting myself. Now I really have a better metric and understanding of how, like what my cup is looking like and who gets to, you know, touch my cup basically. Wow. So, um, about this silencing thing, I totally like I, that resonates with me like in a in a real way. So, how did you get, I guess, out of that place and like stop allowing yourself to, I, I guess, be silenced or feel silenced? So that was a really that was a very trying experience of just getting out, like healing and getting back to myself. 
um, a lot, it took a lot of, I had to strip away a lot of distractions and a lot of noise. Um, and I had to kind of start to isolate myself a little bit so I can listen to myself, um, and really hear me instead of hearing like what the institution says or what so-and-so says or whatever. Um, so what that looked like in practicality was like really taking more walks, doing a lot more isolation time. Like I said before, setting boundaries where, you know, after 10 o'clock, you can't reach me. I don't exist to anybody. Like I only exist to myself. Um, I'm also a woman of faith. So I got a lot more closer to God. I started to study the word a lot more. Um, and I got a lot more closer to my family and people who've really been there for me from the jump. Um, but this was like a very gradual process. It, I had to get closer to these people because because they knew me from the jump and because they knew I was like this black girl magic being that's been just been popping ever since, all of a sudden I started getting quiet. They had to kind of put up a mirror for me to remind myself of who I am because sometimes you just need that reminder. Sometimes when, you know, when you're going through stuff, when you're going through depression or anxiety or whatever, when you're trying experiences that make you forget about who you are, it's really helpful to have somebody just simply hold up a mirror and be like, this is who you are and remind you. Um, so I had a lot of, I had, I had to actively seek that out at times, but it was really helpful um, for me to do that in order to find my voice. I also did a lot of reading. Um, like I'm really into like self-help and self-improvement um, literature. So I thought that was, that was a good way to kind of help me get out of this funk. And, um, and I also like really listened to like inspirational podcasts. I did a lot of like detoxifying of my life because I think the main issue was um, the main issue for me to be able to heal in spite of these outside forces that are creating the silencing thing within myself was the fact that I had distractions. So I had to just cut out those distractions, remember who I was and, you know, just stay true. So straight up daily affirmations, like I was doing all the things, honey, like (laughs) oil, I still do that to this very day. Like I have beautiful journals. I have affirmations on them, vision boards, all the things. Um, I was just very aggressive about my self-care um, and I even got down to the point of like making sure I have no clutter in my room before I leave like at all, because, you know, that impacts my mental health for the day. So um, I just had to do a lot of clearing. And that's what kind of helped to facilitate the healing process. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um I'm going to just I'm just going to have to come go offline and ask you for all of the things. Okay. <laughs> Because yes, sure. I need all of the things. So Ooh. it sounds like you are super busy. Like I remember lab life, like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I was never even at the PhD level. And even when you're talking about mastering out, that's exactly was what happened to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just really hope we can have like more conversations because I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like exactly, you know, some of these, some of these issues in graduate level education, I, you know, dealt with and I just, but I was like pretty like doggone determined, like, no, I'm going to get this PhD, maybe not here, but I'm going to get it. So, um, but, uh, so I, I just hope you know, like how important your work is with Oak STEM, but now I want to know how do you balance the two? Because grad school is very, very, very time consuming. And then to have something that you're passionate about and do it as in as well on top of all of the demands of graduate school is no small feat. Yeah, it's, 
you know, it's, it's been a process, but I'm getting better at it. So, um, working on woke STEM takes, it takes a lot because I'm building something, right? So it's not like I'm just jumping into a nine to five, I'm jumping into a ready position. I'm getting training and boom, it's like, I'm creating everything from the bottom up and I'm doing, I'm trying to do it in a way that's decolonized. So it's even harder. Um, Mm -hmm. But the way I try to balance everything is one, like set priorities. So right now, like, although like, I'm kind of like, all right, like I'm almost done with this degree. I'm at the end. I'm kind of going through the whole, like, Oh, like, why am I still here? I technically earned a degree already. Um, But I, you know, there is certain work that I need to get done in order to get that paper that says I'm a doctor. So that is a priority for me and not just in a very big way, like I need to get my degree, but in a very systemic way, in a way that I break down like, okay, what are, like I have, I write out everything and I'm pretty organized in that way. So all the experiments I need to do in order to get my degree, like my committee already knows that X, Y, and Z, I give them a hard deadline. Like this is what I'm trying to graduate. I'm not trying to stay any time less, more than that. Like, I don't care what you say. This is what I'm trying to graduate. These are the experiments I need to get done to get here. Is that cool? Yes or no? Yes. So it's just being really like clear and explicit and, you know, sticking to it and staying organized. So um, on a more micro level, like on a day-to-day level, I treat, I don't treat my, I used to treat my PhD like, you know, I'm just at the mercy of grad school. Like I'm, after my first year, I was in lab, I think my first rotation, I was in lab like 20 hours a day sometimes. Like it was, it was a mess. It was a hot mess and I was a mess. But now I like, I don't know who told me this, but I treat my PhD like a job, like straight up. I treat it like a nine to five. And sometimes it's even shorter than that. Sometimes it's longer than that, but I treat it like a job. I don't stay on campus more than eight to 10 hours. 10 hours is rare. Like I treat it like a job and because I treat it like a job that's in this tight frame, I am pretty serious and very intentional about my time. Like I don't waste time at all. I don't do a lot of, I'm not really a small talk person anyway, but I don't do a lot of small talk. Um, I just get what I need to get done, done. And sometimes that doesn't require for me to like come and sit down in the lab. Like sometimes I work remotely because that's more, op- uh, that's more uh, optimized for the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting really, really structured, having to do lists, having this being really well planned out for what I'm trying to get done. Um, that's just for the PhD part. And then for woke STEM, um, what I'm doing now is that I wake up pretty early to get started on some work with woke STEM, like strategy work. Um, I wake up like sometimes I wake up like five thirty. Mostly, I mostly wake up at like six. Um, so like from six to seven, six to eight, depending on what I have to do for the day. I do, mm-hmm. um, I do like focused work with on woke STEM. And then um, throughout the day, like this is something I'm trying to like cut down on because it's not the best for my focus level. But throughout the day when I have many breaks, like if I'm walking from one building to another, I'll like do something on my phone or whatever, or I'll send off the email or tweet something or whatever, like do something that's goes back into the woke STEM brand. Um, but right now in terms of structure, I do a lot of my focus work in the mornings and on the weekends. Um, I kind of just do it on the fly as well because it's something I'm really, really passionate about, but um, I'm in a place now of trying to get really, really tight with my systems and structure because woke STEM is growing and it's growing really fast and um, it's no longer at a place where, you, you know, it's just a Twitter page or something like it's, it's yeah. beyond that right now. And I'm, you know, managing people as well. So 
it's it requires a lot of discipline on my end, which is challenging, but it's also very satisfying because I know at the end of the day, this is like personal growth and personal development for just being a very disciplined person. And for my long-term career goals, like where I'm trying to take this to, I just got to be mad disciplined. So I don't really complain about, you know, waking up early or whatever. So all in all, it's just being really structured and organized and intentional um, and just cutting out mess, cutting out nonsense. Like I don't sit around, like I start... (laughs) I start like itching if I'm like sitting in a meeting and the meeting is fruitless or people just talking about whatever. I'm like, I don't, why are we like, no, 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 no. Like I don't have time. I don't have time. Can we finish this right now? So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much how I kind of go about balancing those two entities. That is, that's great. I, I am. Yeah. I love it. I think that, I think I've heard a couple of times like that early morning and I've been trying to do it early morning lately. I just finished a semester on Monday. So I, honestly, I'm so exhausted this oh week. I've gosh. been trying to do 5am and I, I'm not getting out of the bed before seven, but <laughs> <laughs> when I did, <laughs> when I was getting up at five, it it really makes, I mean, I didn't think it made much of a difference, but my goodness, the amount of work you can get done if you start earlier in the day is just amazing. And I love that concept of using, you know, treating your degree like a job and giving it, you know, these many hours a day and whatever. Because I think I even saw like someone on Twitter said to me, like, your, your to-do list never ends in academia, like ever. So just get used to it. Like, and it's just like, if I have that mindset, I think that it's much more manageable where you can give yourself, you know, one or two or maybe three tasks in a day, you know, depending on how long they take, maybe more. And then like, once that's done, you're done. Or if it doesn't get done, it'll be there tomorrow. Like I said to my friends who have like actual jobs, so, like it'll be there tomorrow. Like you'll be fine. So I think yeah. that mindset is is useful and um staying sounds like you're very organized and you don't have an issue with facebook and instagram and twitter so that's amazing (laughs) that's so great so do you have any advice um i think you shared a lot of really great gems throughout this episode throughout our conversation about you know how you've you've kind of framed it sounds like a lot of it is like how you view and your perspective on graduate school and how you've perceived it and how you've chosen I think even to um think about situations as they've come as they've as as they've arisen in your experiences so like is there any other advice that or something you really want to make sure people know about graduate school um now I think one piece of advice is that for specifically for graduate school like as a black person in graduate school or anybody really but particularly as a black person in graduate school, it's historically a very anti-Black space. Like it's created, it wasn't created for us, unfortunately. And whenever we're in the space, for some people, it's very intimidating and they project that intimidation in really violent ways. So my advice is to just really stay true to who you are, create your lane, like literally create your lane. If you don't like any of the lanes that exist, if you're not trying to fit into whatever lanes that are out there and you know, whatever that might look like, create that lane for yourself and know that you earned your spot. Like you earned this place that you are right now. You don't need to prove nobody. You already earned it. You already got in. So just create your lane and stay grounded and staying grounded can look like so many different things, whatever, whatever is true to you. Like 
for some people, it might just be like for me, I remember my first year of graduate school where I was struggling a lot. One of the things that really helped me to stay true to myself and stay in my lane was having just just black things on the weekend, like literally just black spaces. So my best friend would come over and we would go to like local Nigerian parties in LA, like people we didn't know, just crashing parties. Like, but it was so good because I was around my food, my people. And, you know, even to the level of like, you know, there were days where I'm like, I haven't seen a single black person all day long. Like this is a, this is a mess, but I had to create black spaces at home by, you know, my Instagram feed or the content I consume on YouTube or whatever. Like it's black people, the podcast, like black voices in my ear. Sometimes it was like, even in lab, like just listening to podcasts by black people, just hearing those voices, hearing those perspectives. It was a way that allowed me to just stay in my lane and not get caught up in all the mess out there because there's a lot of noise that's meant to derail you from you getting to your goal. So my, again, my general advice is just create your lane. You are a magical person. You, you earned your spot here and all you got to do is just tick off some check boxes and you're out. Love it. I love it. That's right. Get them, <laughs> check them, check them boxes and get, get done. And yeah, I, I also totally resonate with like, not so, so many things you said. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't see black people. I was telling my mom that over the weekend or like my stepdad, cause he was like, you know, everyone, I don't know if this happens to you, but like, or I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're dating, but I'm single. So my parents are like, have you met anybody there? I'm like, y'all, I am the only black person in my program. <laughs> Where do I meet somebody else at? Okay. That, well, at least that looks like me, right? Like, come on. And, um, and, and just, and it kind of like blow, it like blew my, my stepdad's mind. He's like, so when do you see black people? I'm like, there's a lady who comes and picks up our trash. And that's when oh. I see a black. Right. Right. And, and that can be, and I count, like if I have a day where I see more than like four black people, I'm like excited. Like, oh my gosh, today was great. I saw 12 black people, you know, walking <laughs> through camp. So, um, I, I I absolutely believe in having like spaces that you can go to, you know, outside of school that, um, you know, just feel comfortable like home. So I love that. Oh, my gosh, Chantel, this was so great. I think you provided so much valuable information. And if there's any way I can be helpful to woke STEM, I mean, I saw that you all started like, I, well, I, I don't, I won't speak too much, but like the visual, visual component, I've seen, you know, a couple clips of that. And I'm really, I'm really ecstatic about like what you're doing and, and your strategy is like dope. So I'm rooting for you over here. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. That really, really does. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't even know how I found you. Like literally, I think I was just, you know, you know how you're on Twitter, like, you know, I'm trying to find these space, like these spaces, these communities. And I don't even know how, I couldn't even tell you how I stumbled across woke STEM. I was like, this is dope. Yeah. I'm about to follow follow this. <laughs> like, I love it. Um, so wrapping up is lessons from the trap. So give <laughs> us your lesson from the trap, Chantel. Okay. So I, I like to call myself a music head somewhat. I'm really into mm-hmm. music, but, um, so there's this song, there's a song by Jay-Z. I think a lot of people know it. it's called You Don't Know. It's on the blueprint. And um, there's a lyric in there that has just resonated with me forever and will continue to resonate with me forever. So he says, you drop me anywhere on God's green earth, I'll triple my worth. And mm. just, 
that is just everything because one has been my past. Like I've been in a lot of really wild and turbulent situations and circumstances, but I've been able to persevere and literally triple my worth, like literally triple my worth and probably more multiple fold than that. But, um, and it's not just because of, you know, whatever like opportunity that just jumped in front of me. It really comes down to where I come from my ancestor, like I really believe in ancestral power and um, I really, really believe in just a lot of the lessons and values that have been instilled in me from a young age and, you know, my support circles as well. I think those are all integral for me to going to new places, like those things I've learned. It's just allow me to like, wherever I go, if I just feel like dropping out of my PhD program right now and moving to Amsterdam, I'll move to Amsterdam and you <laughs> bet your ass I'll be popping and doing some great things over there as well. Like, I love I it in that so that's one lyric that really resonates with me and I think should resonate with a lot of people because you know we all got a lot of self-worth we all really really do it's just you gotta you just gotta recognize I love it I love it oh my gosh (laughs) that was amazing that was a really great way to wrap up this episode Chantel thank you so 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 much for one being yourself and sharing your story and also creating a community and a movement and some solution oriented movement um through wokestem i think that it's it's a great i mean i'm just excited i'm excited to just be on the sidelines watching i really am thank you thank you so so much um, your support really means a lot to me it really does especially because another oh. fellow Black woman out here doing a damn thing. Like, I'm just ecstatic for your support. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, you, well, okay. I won't, I won't say that on the podcast. I will say have a good night, but um, <laughs> where can the people follow you on, um, in the interwebs? So you can follow woke STEM on Twitter. So it's just woke STEM, W O K E STEM, all one word. Um, we also just started an Instagram. Um, we are really trying to get more followers on there. We're trying to do you know, some special stuff specifically for Instagram. So follow us on there. Um, and very, very soon we'll have our YouTube up and pop in. That's going to be really exciting. So stay tuned for that. Um, I also just started my personal like brand, like literally like two days ago. <laughs> um, it's on Instagram yes. and it's Trill Nice Chic. So Trill Nye, like Bill Nye, but Trill Nye, T-R-I-L-L-N-Y-E, Chic is C-H-I-C. Um, so that's going to be like my personal brand where I'm like kind of going more into like lifestyle of basically a black popping PhD student in L.A. So follow me on all those interfaces and DM me if you got questions. Like I'm more than happy to share gems or just talk or whatever. Hi, Alante again. I really want this project to be a resource for my fellow people of color and women in grad school. So if you have any questions or requests for topics, shoot me an email at alante at strengthsnotstrikes.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-T-E at strengthsnotstrikes.com. Please remember to subscribe and review and share with your other friends in grad school. Thank you. 
save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.